I think if we are going to, as a species, continue to grow and thrive and create an environment, an ecology, an economy within which we as the human race continue to grow and develop, it has to be through adaptation, innovation and progress. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, I'm Ben Stevens. And I'm Nicholas DeMille. Welcome to Episode 7 of Science Town. Startups and the disruptive tech they espouse promise jobs, economic growth and smarter societies. With wild promise and profitability at stake, building the next Silicon Valley has become the pursuit of many. But is all this talk of smarter, better and faster forms of reality really going to pay off for the rest of us? In this episode, we speak with students, startups, scientists, and the people trying to stoke the fires of innovation about these new businesses and the types of tech they're offering. Everywhere in the world seems to have a slightly different definition of what an innovation ecosystem is. I have a very simple view, and that's all of the machinery, all of the actors, all of the participants that are involved in taking ideas from something inside someone's head to something that's making some sort of difference in the society, economy, community. That's Kevin Cullen, Vice President of Innovation and Economic Development at KAUST. And the innovation ecosystem, in my view, is quite a messy thing. Mm -hmm. And people try to formulate structures and everything else. I, I usually describe an innovation ecosystem as being more like the Amazonian rainforest than like a farm. Right. You know, because messy things happen, things grow, they die, things, new things come and replace other things. And it's actually quite a chaotic system. Mm. So again, sometimes the policies and practices tend to be looking at it as quite a deterministic system, whereas in actual fact, I describe it as chaotic chaotic the definition i use is a cause and effect system from which the outcomes are so unpredictable as to effectively be random that is really important because typically policymakers funders and actors want to have a deterministic system do x and y results unfortunately what happens is you do x and z a b c one two three happens so an innovation ecosystem requires Confidence, optimism, patience and luck, which again sometimes drives the people who are trying to design them nuts, (laughs) but that duality is that all you can do is create the conditions within which good things can happen and then wait for them to happen. Talking about universities, we're we're at KAUST, so what can the university play in this in this messy chaotic ecosystem yeah universities i see as central to the whole thing um people will suggest that i'm biased but i do i've been working in the university innovation sector for 25 years universities are a source of new knowledge new ideas and talent so the university is where some of the 
the the breakthroughs in the field of human knowledge come from and then feed into this chaotic system working with other people with partners with entrepreneurs with investors with politicians policy makers society governments to try and find ways of getting these new ideas these new findings on their pathway towards making a difference outside the university mm -hmm. universities sometimes feel the need to try and do the entire thing themselves mm. and i think that's a mistake i think we've got to view ourselves as an important actor within the system rather than try and create and manage the entire system ourselves and that's why you know the phrase that i'm pushing really quite strongly is cowst as the deep tech heart of the saudi economy deep tech heart we're not the entire body we're not every single part of the system but our differentiating role and our key strength is in providing that deep tech capability the deep tech expertise the deep tech uh, knowledge the deep tech entrepreneurs such that deep tech can become an integral part of the economy of the kingdom going forward and why is um deep tech the the tag we want rather than just tech in this instance yeah because tech is is too broad in mm -hmm. my view and we here have capability to do research that most places in the world just can't do we have the the knowledge base the capacity and the researchers to be able to delve into areas of science that other people couldn't do so we're talking about how innovation has become the thing it's often coupled with disruption or it's referred to as disruptive innovation and it's often uncritically celebrated should it be i'll go back to my metaphor of the amazonian rainforest <laughs> again you know species will come and species will go and we shouldn't be un uncritically celebrating it we should recognize you know that that the disruption that happens as a consequence of innovation changing but again philosophically that's a fact of life evolution does that in the amazonian rainforest a creature will come and it will thrive and then conditions change or a new predator comes along and things just have to change and adapt but i would argue that we have to celebrate the innovation progress and not just focus on making sure nothing ever gets harmed or damaged because that's stasis mm -hmm. and that leads to death but one man's startup can be one another man's redundancy say it, it, yes it, it, it absolutely can be and you know no one celebrates the fact that a company has gone out of business because a new things come along you know the buggy whip manufacturer of the, mm -hmm. the 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 famous tale but i think if we are going to as a species continue to grow and thrive and create an environment an ecology an economy within which we as the human race continue to grow and develop it has to be through adaptation innovation and progress and recognizing there will be damage along the way i am at heart an optimist and believe that you know everything that dies creates an opportunity for something else to thrive 
which in turn becomes a threat to to the order that's developed so in that in that case in the past year we've seen the tech giants become the targets of a tech clash some of them will probably be you know stirred up by their competitors but the, the man in the street perhaps is is having his say about just what you've said so what can the next generation of startups learn from that you know what because it's a chaotic system i can't <laughs> tell you exactly what i can tell you though is that disruption will come mm. you know entropy the, the the tendency towards disorder is a universal force if you just try and keep things as they are they will fall apart you need to be able to continue developing improving innovating and my advice to the startup would be stay innovative stay innovative and i you know i don't want to get into a political debate about the tech giants but you know how much of their business now is based upon innovative technology versus let's just say the legal administrative bureaucratic side of things mm-hmm. and i i would hate to be involved in a company that was spend more on lawyers protecting the business model than it was spending on developing the next generation of products to millennials and those of the age that we we have at Kaust in particular looking to 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 move into startups you you you're saying to them continue to innovate because in some ways we think of them as digital natives we think of them as uh, inherently entrepreneurial but perhaps they're very much forced into that by the fact that those jobs that their previous generation might have enjoyed no longer exist we just perhaps that's how change always happens but you know how how much do we have a sort of rosy idea that they're all deeply entrepreneurial because they want to change the world or it's just pure economics that's forcing them that way? Um, I actually think it's a combination of the two. And the pessimistic side of my nature would say, you know what, some of the innovation systems people are trying to create is nothing more than a job creation scheme to try and get the unemployment numbers down. Mm. The optimistic part of me, which... You know, I I think is dominant. Looks at the young people who are coming to our hackathons, coming to our accelerator, being involved in this thing, and they're they're passionate. You know, they genuinely are excited about being involved in doing something that makes a difference. And this evolution thing, you know, the job for life that might have even existed when I graduated, no longer exists. Do you look upon that as a threat or do you look upon it as an opportunity? And I I think we've now got young people who never even contemplated the job for life notion because it's sort of been on the wane for so long that it just didn't occur to them. And what we find is they, they want to do something meaningful. Let's be clear that it's not all about startups. Even if someone goes to work for one of the tech giants or even one of the non-tech giants, I want them to go into their job with an innovative mindset. Mm-hmm. That they they are employed and paid in order to come up with new ideas, to do things differently or do different things. And the vast majority of people who, who come through our entrepreneurship centre won't create their own startup but they will go into any future job having picked up some of the skills, having picked up some of the traits, having picked up some of the habits, having picked up some of the 
enthusiasm and excitement that comes from being able to make a difference. People genuinely benefit from making a difference. You know, it's part of human nature. And I like to think of my job as creating the conditions in which people, whether it's our students, whether it's our faculty, whether it's our research partners, are able to make a difference. Great. I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Science Town, brought to you by Kaust. So at Kaust Entrepreneurship Center, we thrive to cultivate the intellectual assets that are being generated in the research powerhouse. And then we funnel it into our programs to, let's say, produce really high impact startups. That's Hatan Ahmed head of the KAUST Entrepreneurship Centre. And another key element that we do in the centre, which is basically we want to educate the people we deal with in terms of entrepreneurship and innovation, because we believe entrepreneurship is the alphabet of the 21st century. And we work with innovators and entrepreneurs, not only in KAUST, but beyond KAUST in other universities, other institutions, in different kind of platforms, such as the MIT Enterprise Forum or ArabNet, and we are usually Mm -hmm usual partner, knowledge partner for entrepreneurship and innovation. And we reach out to the wider audience to instill that know-how into the wider ecosystem of entrepreneurship. So over the past few years, we graduated more than 8,500 entrepreneurs and innovators from the different programs and boot camps we run across the country and beyond. Great. And uh, how does um, your centre relate to the Entrepreneurship World Cup that's held in Saudi Arabia? KAUST has been partnered with MISC in order to, as a strategic partner for the Entrepreneurship World Cup. So it was a global competition that has been run in partnership with Global Entrepreneurship Network, where the competition ran in 170 countries with semifinals in 70 countries. They uh, gathered more than 100,000 applicants. And then uh, semifinals took place in many different countries. And the top performers or winners from those semifinals, they joined in for the, let's say, the global final that took place in Riyadh. There was mm-hmm. hundred of them and they got amazing technologies, great teams to compete for a grand prize and get exposure to really great network that uh, MISC put together during the MISC Global Forum in November. And for, for the listeners who might not know, uh, what is MISC? MISC is a nonprofit organization or a foundation that has multiple initiatives in the country targeting different key objectives. One of them is MISC Innovation, where they look at, uh, let's say, stimulating uh, innovation within the country. And one of the initiatives was Entrepreneurship World Cup, right. which we partnered with. So CAFS was there as a partner, strategic partner, and what we have done, we developed the boot camp to prepare those 100 top finalists before they go to the global finals. And that took place in KAUST, where we had an immersive experience to learn more about what's happening on the ground, work with mentors, and get them ready for the global finals in Riyadh. The good news was that for the Saudi finals, uh, there was like 7,000 applicants. Uh, 15 of those finalists who made it all the way to the top 15 
eight were graduated or were graduates from the entrepreneurship center programs wow. and the top performance the top six that the judges select for the global finals that they, they all have gone through the entrepreneurship center programs and we're really proud of them and what was really interesting it was truly like watching a world cup that i was like super excited like an entrepreneurship <laughs> world cup and basically what happened is that uh two of the cast starters made it to the semifinals and one made it to the top 10 and actually that one was red sea farms who took the third place uh winner in the global finals in the entrepreneurship world cup Tell me some more details about what we call Takadam here, what it is and, and how it works. Takadam is one of the national accelerator programs that we run in the center. We run it in partnership with Saudi British Bank. And Takadam basically is a university accelerator program that targets faculty members, staff members and researchers affiliated with universities in the kingdom and we work with them over a period of six months in order to help them develop their idea or their intellectual property to transform it into a new venture the process is mentor-led industry connected and vc backed the programs comes with some initial grant-based funding mm -hmm. and the goal of the funding is to help the entrepreneurs build the initial prototypes create the initial customer traction and then test the market and explore the appetite of the users and identify the real target customers that they're after and the idea is that to get them ready by the end of the program in order to be ready for their seed funding and get uh, get ready for some venture capital to be plugged into the, com the company and move into the incorporation, formalization of the company uh, to, to kick off their journey of entrepreneurship. And there's also a competition element to Takadam, is that right? Yes, of course. So, so a pitching? Or? Of course, definitely. So the program basically is quite intense in terms of the requirements and the exposure. So we have a weekly uh, meetups with the teams and we have a monthly boot camps that happens over the weekends over the six month period of time. And then what we do, that all builds up towards the final uh, demo day or mm -hmm. a showcase event. And our recent one was here in Kaust and we were targeting to hit a thousand participants to be attending the final showcase event. And we ended up with uh, around 1100 participants attending wow. uh, the showcase event. And that was a, a, a great um, uh, exposure for the entrepreneurs because we got as well around 32 investors who joined in in the judging session. And the main goal is that to get those entrepreneurs exposed to the industry, to the investors and create that healthy pipeline that feeds into the ecosystem. Yes. All right. Welcome to the Taqaddam Showcase 2019. This is going to be one hell of a day. We have one rule that we follow tonight. High energy all the time. We're gonna keep this a tradition that we stick to. 
Hi, my name is Bruno. Our startup is called Orbit Crops. What we do is uh, we take satellite images, weather data, we process it, and we give farmers the information to properly manage their farms. Me and my colleagues have been working on basically the same thing uh, for uh, research purposes. So uh, we started to think, uh, once we uh, went to the fields and see like, okay, uh, there is something missing, something that can be done, uh, not just research. So uh, we said, okay, uh, we have an opportunity here in Cow, so uh, why not? Can I get you to say your name first? Eloise Biard. Okay, uh, what's your startup and, and describe what it does? Our startup is Glucojet and we're detecting glucose in saliva for diabetes. And why is your uh, startup needed? So currently there's non-invasive solution on the market for saliva for diabetes. So that's why we decided to try to develop a sensor which could replace the need for finger prick. And what's, what are your hopes for the startup and for today? So today we are trying to uh, make some new contacts, thanks to Takadam, so then we can uh, get some investors so we can develop the startup to be in the range of commercialization. My name is Babur Khan. I'm a founder here at MySect. Uh, MySect is actually a company that is giving real-time data to plant operators on when they should clean their systems. So when we talk about plant operators, we're talking about desalination, which is a big part of what the kingdom, how the kingdom gets its water. And the problem with desalination is it gets fouled by bacteria. That means the filters get clogged, so you don't have drinking water. And by introducing the system that we've developed, we can actually understand how many bacteria are there and when should the operators clean the system. And so right now we have been working uh, this over the past two years. I'm a couch graduate and uh, we're trying to take this to the next level by incorporating into Saudi desalination plants. And um, what made you think of this particular Sort of area. Yeah. So I've always had a passion for microbiology. Microbiology is where I did my bachelor's, my master's, and I worked in biotech in bacteria and how they form communities. And so it was just natural for me to look at how they form communities inside of industrial systems. And so one of the problems is how can we know how many bacteria are there? That led me to thinking, and it was also the my PhD project, actually. So I was able to tailor my PhD project into a commercial solution. Uh, I'm Marcella. Okay, and uh, do you study at KAUST already? I was a PhD at KAUST till June, so I graduated in June and I'm now moved to Zurich. Okay, and what's your startup called and what's it do? Our startup is Ganostec, and we basically produce nutrient-loaded microalgae powder. But the nice things of this algae is that they can thrive uh, leveraging of a lot of resources that are considered waste because we use flue gases from power plants and uh, brine water from desalination plants and sunlight that is here abundant. So actually we had our uh, first pilot scale project in uh, SEC at Rabic and uh, we are actually now harvesting and trying to sell our uh, first batch of microalgae powder. Okay, and what, what does the microalgae then do? Is it just... Uh, the microalgae powder is a, a very interesting natural uh, health supplement. So it's very useful for humans and for animals because they are very rich in vitamin A, antioxidants, and uh, they have a very high amino acid profile. And uh, so basically, yes, they are uh, like very good for the immunity system, immunitary system, sorry, or for uh, cholesterol. 
And where will your customers mainly come from? The people that want the algae or the people that want to get rid of their byproducts? We can do both. This is one of the particularly one of the nice things about this startup because we already have this agreement with the Saudi Electricity Company. So they are giving us their waste and a lot of land that we can use and that can uh, cannot usually be used for agriculture because it's dry land. And at the meantime, we are producing something that you can already sell because it's uh, already approved from, from the Saudi Food and Drug Administration and can reach both animal farming, ornamental fishes, aquaculture, um, hatcheries and uh, platform online. I'm Ahmed Ghalab, the technical lead for Creative Minds. Okay, and what is Creative Minds? Creative Minds mainly the mobile applications that help parents develop their kids' skills. We offer the parents with weekly videos of activities that can stimulate their kids' development. And actually, we these activities may require an additional uh, educational toys that they can uh, order to their doorsteps. So we are facilitating the process for them, for the parenting, especially for the kids that uh, preschool periods. And uh, what made you come up with this idea? Actually, I'm a parent of two kids. One of them, I left it uh, so much time keeping him watching TV and digital device, and we discover eventually this affects his social and the communication skills very badly. So thinking about limiting such time, if it's we, we, we believe it's a challenge, filling it with useful activities is a bigger challenge. This is the main objective. That's why we create Creative Minds. Hi, my name is Yara Aldriz. Our startup is Carbon CPU. We basically take uh, organic food waste, so it could be either rice or, or vegetables and so on, and we convert it into fatty acids. And, uh, how did you come up with the idea? Is it something you studied already? Yeah, so we basically wanted to find a solution for the food waste. And while we were studying that, we, find, we found another solution in which we could convert that food waste to the fatty acids and help the animals. So basically we were helping two parts, the animals and the environment. And who do you think will be the main customers for your startup? Basically restaurants or like uh, factories that produce uh, food, uh, milk, like Marai, uh, Nadik, and so on. And what is your hope for the future of the startup? Uh, I really hope that we could win Taqadam, so we can build our full-scale reactor and move on and reach Vision 2030. Thank you so Thank much. You so Thank much. you so much. You're listening to Science Town. Wayakit is a solution that all travelers deserve. And we will say it's a laundry in your pocket. We call it like that. It's a spray that removes smells and stains. So it cleans your clothes and also antibacterial properties that you can use anywhere you go if you're traveling or, re or really on the go of every day. That's Sandra Medina, co-founder and CTO of Wayakit. And... Uh, if you are a mother or even if you are a business uh, traveler or if you are a millennial that are at your university, like it's really wide application and a wide public that can use it. And it's uh, we really use it everywhere uh, to clean at home, to clean while traveling. And the important thing is it's environmental friendly and skin friendly. 
So what made you first come together and also what made you think, right, this is a problem that really needs solving and this is the kind of product that we want to go for? We were traveling for a conference and the airline lost our luggage. And the, the same day we have the conference, so we have to go with our stinky clothes <laughs> to present. That's Luisa Javier, co-founder and CEO of Wayakid. Uh, this started us like the idea of uh, how to properly, that there was not a proper solution and that we have to like hanging all the car, not even the carry on, like all the luggage. And it's, it's you know, it's like a like ability that you have to be carrying around. And we, we love to travel and we travel a lot because of our work and, uh, and the PhD and so on. First, actually, we thought that it can be like an application for females or how they can stop laundry. Mm-hmm. But we identified that there was not a pain in the washing process, actually. So, uh, but there, in here, there was a mom with five kids that she said like, but you know, when I'm traveling, I have to carry the, you know, the clothes of all these kids. And we identified that our pain was a pain for similar people, like for different people. And that's why we came up with the idea. So we targeted into the travel sector uh, as like the starting point. But as Sandra said, we we really think it can go in different applications. And um, for those who don't know, uh, what's your PhD in there? It's an environmental science and engineering, same as uh, Luis. Oh, so the same? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we are in the same department, actually. Mm-hmm. A different focus, so both like dealing with water. So at the end, Guayaquil also, as Sandra said, like uh, we are able to, most of the clothes, you know, sometimes they are not super dirty and they are just thrown into the laundry machine. And because we think that's the only way clothes can be clean. So Guayaquil has super strong antibacterial properties without any toxic chemicals. I think that's one of the first advantages of the formulation. So sometimes we wish that our clothes could feel as fresh, but don't starting like, you know, for how many liters of water you need to do for doing a laundry or like a, mm. and a lot of laundry. So that's why we really believe that also, I mean, since more than a hundred years, the process of laundry has al- always been the same way. So we believe that we can also encourage people to save water and at the same time guaranteeing the sanitation of, of the, its clothes, basically. Mm. And I guess um, you're also saving the energy it takes to yeah, dry them, definitely. particularly if it's, it's not a hot country, like if it's the UK, yeah, it yeah. needs to go in the tumble dryer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 75% in terms of, so with Waikid, you can reduce, uh, reuse your clothes up to three times. So it's 75% the, the savings in terms of laundry, water and electricity. What is the science behind your product? Yes. Uh, and what were the challenges uh, in, in getting there? Well, actually, when we started, when we really started in the entrepreneurship course, what they told us was stop, don't go to the lab. So they say stop, you have to go for doing the interviews. And then when we receive all this information, very valuable about the requirements, then we jump into the lab to start the, the, the development of the formulation. So we get basically that the people is concerned about stains and smells. So we start developing the technology around that. So we study how the smells are generated, like how the sweat is generated and why are we smelly after mm-hmm. we sweat. And it's a different combinations where you have your gender, it depends, it depends which products or cosmetic do you use, your hygiene uh, mm-hmm. habits, also uh, your genetics itself. So depending on all these um, different factors, 
you when you sweat, what you are doing actually because the sweat is just water with salts and minerals, right? So, but the problem is that we also produce certain sebum from our glands mm -hmm. in our skin, and this sebum is like the food of your natural bacteria in your skin. So imagine that when you have the bacteria and you have the food, now you sweat. It's a perfect soup <laughs> for for enhancing the perfect conditions, pH and, and different conditions of this bacteria to start breaking down these uh, sebum, these, these, these molecules, and they produce volatile smells. So we started combining like which products or, or which formulation can attack different problems. So for instance, uh, if you have uh, organic solvent, for instance, to remove the grease, mm. we have uh, uh, en en enzymes. Enzymes are mostly for, for breaking down stains. And for the stains, also we read which different stains and how can we can we do it in an environmental way and also friendly way for, for your skin. Because mm. most of the stain removers are just peroxides are just strong oxidizers that really are not uh, removing, so we, we try to combine that. And so um, you could normally, I guess, test the ability to remove stains by looking at it and, and that kind of thing. How did you test whether the smell had gone? Was that a lot? Was that Ooh. physical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the oh with this with the stains is easy because we did it with colorimetry. Mm -hmm. So basically, we can compare the removal and the percentage of whiteness that we achieve. Like, so it's really straightforward, and you can have a really quantitative value for the <laughs> for the smell tell what we did <laughs> for the smell uh, of course we are not like certified of the of uh, yeah sensorial our noses are not trained i peep are there are people that train for this of course yes yeah. there is a whole industry for this and in saudi there are not proper laboratories for doing that so what we did is we tested by our own like actually and so what we did was okay to to read how they classify the stain the, the smells and there are certain standards in the smells so for instance they classify the smells in four categories one is like cat urine like something <laughs> like that like literally in, mm. in, li in the papers you can read like yeah, this yeah, yeah. Uh, there are other that are others that are is um, onion like there is other one that is acidic like and there is, there is other sweat that is uh, sweet Acid. actually yeah. sweet so what we did was uh, many friends gave us their sweat. <laughs> they gave us uh, samples, actually. And what we did is that we put the fabrics uh, that were contaminated with sweat and we put them in the incubator to actually promote the growth mm -hmm. of bacteria and degradation. And we start to trying to classify in these uh, smells that I, that I mentioned, uh, to classify like one to five, which level will you give to this type of sweat and we and we tried to do that we, and then applying the formulation because it was also about how many sprays that you apply on the fabric and uh, the, the formulation itself uh, so we start doing many tests like this but was basically us and doing the test and the yeah. final test uh, after having properly the formulation it was with, uh, people, with yeah. a football team Summer, oh. Saudi Arabia, <laughs> 40 <laughs> degrees. So we collect their, their T-shirts and um, they gave us like super sweaty T-shirts to identify. <laughs> and in this time, like uh, it's super high requirement. So we treat half of the cloth with Guayaquil and half doesn't like, 
And then we start validating our own perception with the people. Mm -hmm. uh, people will start ranging us like in, uh, from zero to a hundred, how much it was removed, mm. actually the smell. And for this huge, huge, huge requirement, we, uh, Wayakit performs in around 85% removal. Okay, and um, final question. What advice would you give to people who are in a similar position to you, say, two, three years ago, they're maybe studying or maybe they've just finished studying and they want to launch a startup? Some people are super af afraid about entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I just feel you have to partner with the right people and find capital and so on and not do it all by yourself, you know. So I, I honestly will encourage if you feel it's your passion. What I don't like and I heard sometimes that it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I do that as a side business because you can have an excellent idea, but people can feel when you talk, when you are just serious or you are doing it as a side business. Investors can feel it. Community can feel it. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm putting just whatever time when or when you're completely committed and you really believe that that's the way to go. The first time that I did it, of course, I was super scared with a two year old boy, you know, and jumping into entrepreneurship. Uh, it's it's quite a challenge. But for for people who feel that they have the courage to do it, just do it. Sometimes Emilio, my, my son, has to stay with Sandra and we <laughs> switch around so we help each other. We have our network, uh, our support network, which is super important. I re remember that the, here it came a vice president, a woman uh, of DAO, and she said about women itself has to have like a support ne network. So if you don't have it, start building it. Because if you really want to achieve more things, you cannot do it everything by yourself. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you so no, much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Cutting edge tech, science and startup culture. Science Town. Unitex is a cow spin-off and we help enterprises adopt AI and high performance computing at scale. That's Kieran Narayanan, co-founder and CEO of UnitX. So there's a lot of hype around AI, and uh, that the problems are that uh, there's a huge skills gap in the industry. It's very hard to find data engineers and data scientists. And when companies, when they do find this talent, they find that the hires spend more than 50% of their time on the infrastructure management, so managing hardware and software layers. And what we do is we get rid of that entire complexity through our platform. So the platform is like Netflix. Mm -hmm. So just like how Netflix docks movies, the Unitex platform docks applications for AI and high-performance computing. And the user experience is very fluid, so there's no coding skills required. And it's just fully automated, and it's end-to-end, -end, and you can submit, you can run your jobs, you can deploy those applications at scale on a global network of supercomputers connected to the platform. What kind of things, for those people that may not they may have heard of what a supercomputer is. What sort of things would these um, industrial clients want a supercomputer for? What do they need to process with that? One of the examples is uh, anybody who's doing a lot of uh, machine learning requires to train that machine learning model first before it can you know, predict something. So an example would be an insurance company who's sitting on 30 years of data and they want to extract some business value out of it. So they use the data to train a machine learning model which can then predict things like uh, fraudulent claims, for instance. And 
the process of training this machine learning model is very compute intensive. It requires a lot of compute power. That's where the supercomputers come in. So like most entrepreneurs, you clearly saw a sort of a niche or a gap in the market that you, you could uh, exploit. What even got you into this area in the first place? What are your backgrounds? As it happens always, good things happen in random order, right? So we, we didn't figure out the gap. We just knew what we liked doing. So I was uh, a student here at Kaust uh, doing my PhD uh, with Professor Ravi Samtane in the Physical Sciences and Engineering Division. So our group was experienced in supercomputing, in software and algorithms development for supercomputing. And uh, so me and Professor Ravi were in a constant you know, a state of argument because he was an academic and then I was, uh, I, my passion was to see all of the good stuff we work on used in the industry, which it wasn't at the time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he was like, okay, you know what, let's just try and go with this, right? And then we went through the Takadam Accelerator program so this sort of abstract idea of wanting to democratize supercomputing into mainstream enterprise took shape, right? And then you got to create a business model out of this desire to do so. And then that's when you go through the, the mentorship through the accelerator, you know, go takes us through this exercise where you try to find a product to market fit, a business model and so on. And then doing that, we made a lot of mistakes, bombed a few times, you know, with the wrong product. And then you finally find like, oh, this is the gap. Like you basically talk to customers. Right. And uh, Ankita, how how did you get involved? I am what I call myself uh, an accidental entrepreneur or <laughs> even a reluctant entrepreneur. But that doesn't make me a bad one. That's Ankita Sri, co-founder and CFO of UnitX. Before I joined UnitX, I was working for the Indian Revenue Service as a um, Assistant Commissioner of Income Tax, so I was in the Revenue and Taxation Department. So the idea was for Kiran to finish his PhD and come back to India and join me, but I had a settled career, you know, (laughs) bureaucratic life and all that. But then I visited him in 2018, uh, in January for a month. Um, I took a break from my job and I visited him. And I saw the kind of emphasis and energy that Kaust was putting into this entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I really saw a good opportunity to build something in this space. And Kiran also had this desire to translate all his knowledge into a startup which can make supercomputing accessible to enterprises. And they needed somebody with a finance business background and that's where I decided to quit my job and then plunge myself into this crazy world of startups. And that's how it happened. If you've got clients around the world and, and, and things like that, and there's you're a small team, how do you manage the, the time and the potential of burnout? Because you're traveling, you're working, it could be 24-7. What, what, what do you say to people who perhaps are in that boat already or, or might find themselves in that? I think burnout is inescapable, at least in the earlier stages. There's no way you can avoid it. So like Iran said, you have to sort of embrace it. Till the time you expand your team enough so that you can delegate and you have found better people for to do the tasks better than you yeah. which which is very important but in the beginning and right now we are still in the burnout phase <laughs> so we're trying to transition and then there's always this the struggle do you spend your time doing the things that you need to do to be doing right now or in hiring which is a full task in itself it is so you cannot ignore hiring i mean i'm i shouldn't ignore hiring i'm telling this to myself more than to the listeners cuz you need to find the right people who and delegate for the long term, or at least in the midterm also. So burnout, yes, 
unavoidable, but try to get out of it as soon as you can by finding the right people to do your tasks. This is like, you know, I visualize uh, Dory and Finding Nemo. <laughs> you know, the current yeah. just hits you and you just go like, you can't swim against the current, you just gotta go with the turbulence, right? And so that's what we do, basically. Yeah. And then every two weeks or so, we're like, okay, you know what, I am really tired. Like, I must sleep. Mm -hmm. And therefore you sleep for like 12 hours or 16 hours and, and then there's a day when uh, the two of us, I mean, and the extended team, we just uh, switch our phones off practically. And then you just got to have that. Once every couple of weeks, you just take like two days off. And this has worked so far for us because then other, the rest of the times, we're just basically going all out. Yeah, but what also works for us as a couple and as co-founders is to have some sort of a routine. So workout, exercise, we always make sure that we do that. If there are two days in a row where we've not found the time to do it, third day, we have to make up for it to sort of, you know, keep us sane and keep us going and just, you know, maintain your sanity. Yeah, it's like a pressure cooker, right? You got to like release the steam once in a while. Release it once in a while, yeah. yeah. So. Otherwise, the valve is just going to burst. So. <laughs> so yeah, having a startup is not an excuse to get fat. Is one is my <laughs> mantra. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes and Alex Arias. I'm Ben Stevens with co-host Nicholas DeMille. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.